Hello, everybody. Uh, it's good to be back with you again. Danny Rains here, and we're doing our uh, bi-monthly podcast on the article that that I was uh, actually able to write for, I think, the last edition of IP Magazine, and it was talk about, uh, and the reason I came up with this topic is really interesting. Uh, we came up with this topic because of the questions people were asking me, I think some of the younger linemen, about how to set up a job. And so, you know, they, back in the day when I was a lineman, uh, when I first made journeyman lineman and I got back, finally got back to my home headquarters after bidding out and being on the road for months. And I came back and uh, I was on what was back then, what was called really a bull gang. It was a large line crew. It had a foreman, two linemen, an apprentice, a truck driver, and a couple of print, uh, a couple of then helpers or groundspeople now called apprentice linemen. But basically, all we did was uh, all we did was reconductor. Uh, we were either changing out a junction bowl, um, cutting in a set of gang switches, or reconductoring a line. And that's all I did for I don't know the first two, maybe two or two and a half years when I got back to Macon because I had to go to Jonesboro, Georgia, and make journeyman. And then when I got back to Macon, of course, the first job it opens up is always on the hardest crew, of course. And the hardest crew being 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 a bull gang that did all the heavy duty stuff. So uh, I'm going to go through a few things and share with you some of the things that I learned then. And then what I've seen now is uh, really interesting uh, managing contractors today. Uh what was it Yogi Berra said a long time ago? You can learn a lot from just observing. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't do a lot of it anymore, but I observe and watch people how they do their job and uh, even give them some advice and pointers every once in a while if, they, if they're willing to take them. But back in the day, it was real simple. You know, if we, it, we, we would change out a, a mile of, you know, 5,000 foot pool for the most part at a time because that was about the length of the, the conductor. It was on a reel of 750 or 795. We'd get about 5,000 feet, 4,900 feet. And we would start. And of course, at the very beginning of any job, you want to plan the job and then work the plan. We would start and uh, the lineman and the foreman, we'd ride out there and we'd take a look at it and see the poles and which ones look to be tough and where we may have to have outages and you know, scheduled outages, and if we couldn't do it hot, but we did most of it hot, well, we would parallel the bank of transformers and, you know, heat it up from the high side, parallel the low side, and swap the service over. And they'd never, if they if they didn't look out the window, they'd never know we were there. You know, that's just the way we roll back in those days. Of course, first and foremost, once you get the when you get the big plan, is get your locates. You know, you want to make sure that. You get all the utilities located because just about every job we ever had to, we had to change out virtually every pole because uh, we were either going five foot higher or going to a class one or two or three pole larger. It might have been 40 class fives. We'd go back with 45 threes. So it required digging holes and that requires locates. So you don't want to dig without a locate. Uh, I actually had a fatality one time because somebody didn't, have a proper locate and they took a chance and put an auger in the ground and cut a four inch gas main and kill somebody and, uh, you know, burn up the truck. And it's just a mess. You don't want to go down that road. It's too easy to plan it and do it the right way. 
Once you get to locate sin after about three or four working days, you can start spotting the poles uh, today in today's world. It depends on where you're at. If you're out in the country, that's one thing. If you're in the middle of town, you may not be able to spot them. You may have to take out what you're going to use and then go back and get some more. No place to lay them off and get them clear. What you don't want to do is create a, a, a legal case for your company because if you do that, that's not a good thing. Okay. So basically you uh, get, get ready and uh, get the material, make sure that, you know, all the storeroom has got all the transformers and arms and insulators and every the conductor it's in everything that's needed. If you get all the material in and you get ready and you start planning the job. Now I've seen this thing done several different ways. I've seen really smart linemen like with contract crews do the easy stuff and skip the hard poles and, you know, hoping that they'd get moved to another crew and somebody else would get the hard pole. And that's to me is not the way to do it. Uh, not looking after your, your brother's keeper, you know, that's for sure. But, but once you, once you get started on it, we always started, you know, at the beginning of the pool, we would, we would most, most of the time, we would just start changing poles out first. We'd bring our four spool uh, pilot rig out there later, you know, and set it and start pulling the ropes. But you may do that first. Just depends on what the pole, what's on the poles. But we would set and change out every pole that we had to change out. The poles that we were not going to change out, we would go in there and lay everything out. We'd have a layout arm up there. And back then, we didn't have a lot of fiberglass. We would have wood arms, and then we'd bolt uh, half arms to the wood, you know, like a uh, eight or a 10 foot wood arm. And then we would frame to the middle and lay out to the outside, try to get two phases on the field side of the structure that would give you more room to work from the road and uh, not have to fight two conductor hot conductors to get to where you needed to be. Uh, like I said, many times we'd go five feet higher. Sometimes we would change it from horizontal to vertical construction. Uh, I always love vertical construction. It just was always easier to me to frame it and everything else. But uh, regardless of what you do, just go down the line, set all the poles, change every one of them out, lay out the phases as you go and pull your pilot lines as you go, okay? You know, when you get, just snub them off at the end of the day and tie them up and go back. If you don't use pilot lines, uh, put your rollers in and put P lines in there. Just always remember the time up high enough to where the kids can't steal the rope. <laughs> That used to happen on a regular, uh, in like in a subdivision, more so in a, on the commercial or industrial pool. But uh, secure it at the end of the day. And once you get to the end of the line, then you're ready to actually start pulling wire. And of course, that wire pulling was always a big day. I mean, if we ever had more than help than we normally had, because we had two buckets and a line truck, and maybe a, a foreman's pickup would be out there. And they, we might have a state body truck to haul the material or an extra line truck just to pull extra poles or load up transformers and build the banks and parallel them and do all the things that we were doing. And that would be good. But the day we pull wire, we'd always get a couple of extra linemen or a couple of extra apprentices from the pool, the reserve. And we would come out there and, you know, set our pulling rig up on the, uh, set our puller up on the opposite end of the, of the pilot line and then work, we could pull the, the, the heavy rope or, or hard rope back, you know, with the pilot line. 
And of course you could pull in one all day CSR with that four spool pilot rig. But most of the time we would be pulling 397, 750 or something even larger. And so we would set our wire, we would set our a puller up down there and then we would set our wire up on the same end as the pilot rig was set up on. And we would uh, connect the, uh, connect the pilot lines up to the hard rope and bring it all the way back and then hook up to the wire and pull it back. Now, of course, at that point in time, you know, you're, you're ready to pull. You got to make sure everything is lined up right and all the blocks are in, you know, and there's inevitably somewhere down the line, somebody's going to not lock a block in place and it'll, it'll, the wire will come out or something, especially if it's on an angle. If you got a little bit of an angle, or, or suspension pole, C suspension as we used to call them. And then all of a sudden, you know, you now you got a wild wire loose out there and it's probably gonna lock the line out because you ought to have traveling grounds on it when you put it up there. It's just a mess. You don't want to do that. So make sure it's there. Make sure someone in a pickup follows that Beckett and swivel. And when they're pulling the wire in, you know, you can you can pull the rope back pretty easy, but when you connect that hard rope hard line up to your 750, you want to make sure that uh, they're talking to the equipment operator who's running the puller. And they also have communications with the tension reel to make sure that the tension stays right where you don't, you don't have too much slack, of course, and you're watching it. And every time it starts going through a block, slow down a little bit and let it ease through the block and then you can pick it back up again. And, you know, Spans are usually, you know, for the bigger wire, 200 and 250 feet is usually, that was the typical span on, you know, on a pretty even or even hilly for application for that matter. And so you, you would have a pole every 250 feet for a mile. So, you know, you figure that's, there's a lot of, lot of blocks that wire's got to go through that swivel. So it's got to go through. So um, once you get it in, uh, this is another thing that, uh, one of the questions that kept coming up with some of the people is what do you do with it? Well, I mean, there's a thing called a ruling span. I don't know if they teach that today or not, but they did with me back in the day. It's, uh, you know, the ruling span is, uh, is the, the equal number of spans that's out there with the longest span divided by the total length. You'll get a ruling span and then you have a temperature uh, conversion. Um, another mistake that's made when pulling wire, especially in the summertime is pull it in too tight. And a lot of folks didn't, don't use dynamometers. They, they eyeball it or, you know, have sagging tables or sag at something. And uh, of course I, I can remember back in the day and I always like to illustrate with examples of what not to do. Uh, we had one, he was one, uh, general foreman, what would be a general foreman, but he was a line supervisor to me. And he loved to see wire tight. I mean, it'd be 98 degrees in Georgia and he'd be out there sagging wire about 16, 1700 pounds and uh, get all you can get and get three more clicks and then whatever you're going to lose and make it up. That's what was his favorite saying. But I've also seen a four inch curved washer on a down guy fit and get pulled all the way through a pole when the temperature went to zero. So you, you want to make sure that you don't, you know, I always had a rule of thumb too that we did it. We don't. We didn't like to pull it at the at the ruling span and leave it at 900 pounds and have bags in the wire. And if you were pulling four old ACSR, you could still. And the wire gets down close to the center of the reel, you can see the curls in the wire. That's ugly. 
with it, we'd always add about 10% to the pool. If it called for a 900 or a thousand pounds, we would do it at about 1100 pounds or 1150 and get a good feel for it. Another thing too is your elevation changes. Uh, always remember this. If you've got, you know, if you've got a 5,000 foot pool and you've got hills all the way through it, that's one thing. But if you've got several hills near one end of the other, you really need to sag it from both ends because if you get to sag on the on the short end where the hill's at, you're gonna have slack wire on the other end. But if you, if, in other words, it's gonna balance out. But once you get that initial sag in that day, you know, get it in there and then come out the next morning and get it into a what I call a final sag. And if you have uneven terrain, uh, I, I, we were pulling, I never will forget, I was uh, I was a supervisor over a training crew. That's back when we had training crews at, at my company I worked for. I had three apprentices, two linemen, and, and a WTO, a winch truck operator. And uh, once we got the once we got the apprentices to the point to where they could glove some hot primaries, the linemen were more crew leaders than anything else. You know, we were watching what they were doing and they were actually doing the work. And we had this, we cut in a substation one time with three 750 circuits, aluminum circuits coming out of it. And uh, I go by that, one of those circuits every once in a while going up toward Atlanta when I travel back and forth. And that wire looks as good today as it did, gosh, 20 years or more ago when it was pulled in. Uh, and it was because they did it right. It was because it was guide correctly. Uh, that's guying's a whole different subject that we could talk about all day and all, end of the night. But uh, Jim Swift used to tell me, he said, son, if you don't guide, you can't pull it. So don't pull against, pull, don't pull against an unguide pole. You're going to lose the pole. You're going to put a belly in the pole. You're going to ruin the sag. And sooner or later, it's going to look like crap. I always remember the guide. And that is, you know, if you've got a vertical pole, you need two guys you know, underneath the top phase and middle phase, and then another one underneath the neutral. You need three guys and two guy rods for the most part. And if you got that way, I guarantee you that pole's going to stay straight. Even a telephone company can't come in there and pull a big cable and wreck it if you got underneath that neutral and they stay 40 inches under us like they're supposed to. So anyway, that's just a, just another side note that, uh, that, you know, a lot of questions answered. Once you get the final sag in, then of course it's all grounded. Uh, you always put grounds on each end of it while you're getting the initial sag and then the final sag. And then when you're tying it, when you start clipping in the new wire, tying it in on the insulators, it needs to be grounded on both ends. Those grounds need to stay on there the whole time you're working on that. And I know a lot of folks disagree with that, but anyway, that's the way the world is supposed to be. And it's the safest thing you can do. Uh, it makes you cover up better than you ever would if it were not grounded. And, and even though it's not grounded, it's still of a different potential. It can, it can ruin your day if you get between it and something hot. Okay. So once you get it all clipped in, now the fun starts. Now we're going to start transferring load. So we got, we got to ride the new line out, make sure you look at every insulator, every pole to be sure it's all in tied in and it's perfect. And then you make it hot. And once it's hot, now then you can start transferring load. You can do it the easy way by de-energizing, by getting a scheduled outage, or you can parallel it. You can leave it jumped out to, uh, you know, your old wire 
and then build a new jumper to the correct face on the new pool and then cut the old. Most of the time, if we were going to do that, we would put a Mac. We'd put a mechanical jumper, you know, on it. And on transformers, we would put some additional poly wire in it or something to where you could cut splice into it or whatever you wanted to do. Most of the time on single transformers, we could just get it out. But if it was a bank, big bank of transformers, 167 KVAs feeding a shopping center, they'd say, oh, no. Either that or come out there about 11 o'clock at night and do it. And we didn't want to do that. So we would just, we'd make the new bank hot, okay, parallel the low sides, tie the low sides of the new bank to the service conductors, and then de-energize the old bank and then cut it in the clear. And that way they, we transferred the load and they never, like I said, they unless they looked out the window and saw us, they would never know we were there. So we would try go down the road transferring. And once we got it all transferred on each end of it, we've done set all the phases out on set on layout arms and put mechanical jumpers on to keep them hot. We made up the permanent jumpers on the new wire. So now then we're ready to take the mechanical jumpers off of the old wire and then de-energize it from both ends and then start stripping it out as we go. And of course you have to be very careful about stripping, wrecking out the old wire. If you're in a quarter with a transmission line or you're an underbuild, even under another distribution line, there's always a chance of induced voltages. So you have to make sure that you protect yourself with proper cover up and proper PPE while you're doing that. And then once you get the old wire out and all the tops of the poles cut off, cleared, and then now you get to clean up. And that's a, that was always the hardest part for us is we done, we've made such, we got a beautiful new line, three phase line built, sagged perfectly, big wire, looking great. Now we got to go clean up trash. And that's part, that's just part of it. Uh, I will make a couple of uh, observations that I've, that I've seen on uh, changing out junction poles and changing out, maybe cutting in a set of 1200 amp game switches. You go out there and you do that and you're focused dead on doing the junction pole or doing the gang switch. And then you get some little run by job on the way in that afternoon. And all of a sudden your focus and awareness fall in the, you know, fall down and you, you're not looking as close as you were when you were working on the tough job. And then that I've investigated a lot of accidents when that happens. So I always give a, a word of caution when the, the tough job's over with stay focused on what you need to do. It's not, it ain't over till it's over. And that's what I always tell folks. Uh, and in any one part of any one small job will kill you just as fast as a big job will. And it's we tend to focus on the bigger jobs more so than the smaller jobs. And there's been a lot of things happen transferring just a single phase primary from a double dead end. And it's just one of those things where we cannot, uh, disregard the hazards and not address the hazards on smaller jobs. So please be aware of that. Uh, I think where our 20 minutes is almost up right now. And I, I, I've been told that I need to, to stop at 20 because I could talk for two hours if I, if I had to. And I really do enjoy doing these things and I hope you get something out of them. And if anybody has any questions or comments from this, this uh, podcast, just give me a call. Uh, you know, I think everybody has my information. It's Danny Rains, and it's at rainsafety at gmail.com. That's R-A-I-N-E-S-A-F-E-T-Y, all one word, at gmail.com. Or it's my phone number, 
354-7360. We'll leave you now at 20 minutes and uh, God bless you and take care. Look out for one another, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, go to incident-prevention.com slash podcasts to get more. Or search Incident Prevention wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time, stay safe.